Hi there, this is Ethan Alexanian, or at least the disembodied voice of Ethan Alexanian, host of Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And you are listening to, and watching, I Know I Know, a solo Beatles video cast, with my main man, Hudson. Hey there, Beatle, solo Beatle fans. Welcome back to another episode of I Know I Know, a solo Beatles video cast where we talk all things solo Beatles. Now, today I have the co-host from one of my favorite Beatles podcasts of all time, Things We Said Today, and the author of The Beatles, A Rooftop to a Cow Burton Club, How I Want to Hold Your Hand Changed Everything. Alan Cozum, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, can I just say something about the titles? It's, yes. It's actually books. Um, oh. One is The Beatles from the Cavern to the Rooftop. And the other one, which is just about I Want to Hold Your Hand, is Got That Something, How the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Changed Everything. Okay. I totally got that messed up. <laughs> Happens. Yeah. So today we are talking about the underrated... Um, what we think is the most underrated album by each of the four solo Beatles. And this is going to be an interesting show. So do you want to start off with your John pick? Okay. Um, so I had a, a, a little problem with the concept in a way, because underrated implies that um, there are really a lot of redeeming features about it. Um, and in most cases, uh, things that I think are underrated are underrated for a reason. Um, although I did have, I did find a couple uh, of things that I think are underrated undeservedly. <laughs> most times, I think they're underrated deservedly, <laughs> which means in a way they're not underrated; they're just poorly rated. Um, but for John, I chose some time in New York City. Okay. <laughs> I think that, um, I think for the most part, that is properly rated as, you know, maybe his, I don't want to say worst album, but, but uh, most people's least favorite. That's assuming you're not counting the avant-garde things. Um, yeah. Like we, the Lions. We all know Ken Michaels rates that as his favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, the thing is that over the years, you know, over the years, your attitude towards things change. And when Sometime in New York came out, uh, or really properly Sometime in New York City, uh, when that came out, uh, I really disliked it. And um, I was probably not a lot older than you, a few years. Uh, and I had a band and I was writing my own stuff and we were recording it and, you know, doing that kind of thing. And it was the first time any of the Beatles put out something that I thought um, I was writing better stuff than. Um, that's, you know, a very sort of arrogant thing to say for someone my age at the time, but... Um, you know, I really felt that, uh, you know, I understood what he wanted to do. And then, you know, even having the sort of newspaper-like cover, um, he was was pursuing his theory that 
that music can be like journalism in a way. It, it can, you know, comment on, on the events of the moment and then move on. It doesn't have to be music for, you know, forever. It can be, um, it can be just, uh, you know, throwaway like a newspaper is. Right. <laughs> you know, and I wasn't really buying that. Uh, you know, I, I felt that no, uh, if you're if you're bothering to record it and put it out, um, it really should be for the ages. Um, yeah. Yeah, Rob, oh, is that it, yes? It'll okay. go away in the edited version. You know, nevertheless, I think a lot of things on this album actually have stood up. Um, and that includes some of Yoko's things. I guess another thing was that this was the, the first album, not counting the avant-garde ones, where John and Yoko really sort of shared the stage, you know, as they would later on Double Fantasy. Um, and I wasn't really dead set against Yoko like so many people. Um, I just felt that... Um, I didn't, uh, it seemed to me that if you're giving me an album that John and Yoko are sharing, then I'm only getting half an album of John. Um, and that wasn't really a good attitude either, you know? I mean, John's attitude was, we both have things to say, we're both giving you this album. And, you know, if you accept it on those terms, I think it's easier to deal with. Um, you know, the first track, you know, I, woman is a nigger of the world. I mean, you know, I don't know that anyone can even, you know, back announce that on the radio now, you know? No, you wouldn't be able to. You, you wouldn't be able to. And yet, you know, what John's, uh, John's message was that he was trying to say is that women are, you know, really badly treated and really badly um, regarded and, uh, you know, by men, and uh, and he was trying to make a statement. I think in in today's uh, atmosphere, it was maybe not as well thought out as as he would have wanted it to be. But you know, also times change, and in his time, you could just about say that. It, you know, uh, even then, it wasn't going to get a lot of of radio play. Um, but you know, it's as a track forgetting the title and the refrain it's actually a really good track you know it, it, it rocks i love that song it really does it's got a great beat aside yep. from the title which is misleading i don't know why in the world he would use that but that it's a great song it really is yeah i mean i think part of why he used it is the shock of it in a way yeah and uh you know, I know what he was getting at, and uh, you know, I, I I think it was essentially a, a good message, you know, to to tell us that you know women need to be treated better, generally speaking, um, and that was all those years ago, and I think the progress has been fairly slow, but it's happening. Um, Sisters of Sisters was a, was a good follow up to it in a way, you know. I mean, it's Yoko's Yoko's take on it. Yeah. Attica State didn't do anything for me, and it, it still basically doesn't. Um, <coughs> excuse me. New York City 
like the opening track is a good hard rocker. I kind of, I still like that track. I love that song. It's probably in my top five London solo songs, mm-hmm. New York City. I mean, just that. And I like the reverb. It almost sounds like something that could have gone on the Dave Dexterized Capital albums, which I still defend. Okay. Even though I grew up with the UK stuff. That's interesting. Okay. Um, Sunday Bloody Sunday... You know, I think actually, in terms of dealing with the Irish situation, I think I, I thought Paul did a better job there. And um, I think John's song is better, even though I don't like both of those songs. Really? Um, I, I suppose, you know, with that goes luck of the Irish. Um, and I know that that got a lot of criticism at the time from Irish people saying, you know, so what are you saying? You know, our our luck is that we always have to take all this, is that, you know? And and that obviously wasn't what he meant, you know, but um, he was he was playing on the, you know, the, the common phrase, the luck of the Irish. And, uh, but, but, and he says, you, you know, you'd be sorry and wish you were dead. And, um, you know, that not well thought through. Um, John Sinclair also that was a, a topical throwaway song um, didn't really care for it that much Angela Yoko's song was I oh thought, I, I think like, that's fantastic yeah and born in a prison you know uh, you know in, in a way as we go through this it almost looks like Yoko's songs are, are better than John's in some way some ways that's how I feel with double fantasy to an extent some at some points hmm, interesting okay yeah but uh i still like the john stuff don't get me wrong okay um and we're all water and we're all water i thought was a great song too i mean it's actually it's actually very funny you know uh and and they had um you know the picture on the cover of uh nixon and nixon and mao uh dancing naked yeah that sort of goes with that song. Um, and then we have, you know, we have the other disc, which I think is... I don't like that disc at all. <laughs> what? I can't stand that disc. I can't, I can't remember a thing on it. Interesting. Um, I really like the Zappa side. Um, but, you know, Zappa put it out himself in a different form. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a different mix, and he calls uh, the the long play out after uh, "Well, Baby, Please Don't Go" uh, a small eternity with Yoko Ono. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, you know, whether he got their permission to do that, whether they cared, uh, whatever it was. It it was it was on his collection called Playground Psychotics. Um, but so, if you collect all this stuff, you need that one too because different mix yeah um so excuse me <coughs> just gotta it's not covid okay good i'm fully vaccinated too yeah that's um, good so uh that's this album um is that enough to say about it or do you yeah i i i think it i don't i could see what i i didn't pick that one because i can see why people don't like it even mm-hmm. though i like it and I don't think John released a bad album in his solo career. I even like rock and roll a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why people don't like that. But that was my so, runner-up. Okay, interesting. We'll have to get to that. 
Um, so my pick, which this is either my number one or number two favorite John Lennon album, Mind Games. Mm-hmm. I it only the two thousand two mix for me personally, because the okay. two thousand ten mix and the um original mix. All I can hear is, uh, uh, uh. you can't really like, hear any of the vocals, I feel like. And I hear every little thing, no pun intended, on this. Okay. Um, me, mind games, tight as, assume a sin, one day at a time doesn't do it for me. Uh, bring on the Lucy intuition out the blue i know i know the namesake of this show and meat city all i would give a 10 out of 10 to okay um yeah i think that um in meat city i do prefer the original kind of cluttered version it just works better for me uh-huh. um i suppose we'll eventually get a box set like the one that just came out for plastic ono band that will have yet another mix. Um, I think in both the mixes that Yoko put out in the 2000s and in these new box sets, uh, which has only been, you know, Imagine and Classic Ono Band, plus the hits compilation. Um, I, you know, she has said really that one of her concerns is bringing out John's vocals. Yeah. And, uh, it, it sounds like for you that really worked. Yeah, it was like a whole different album for me personally. Yeah. A whole different album. And I even liked the original one at first. And I I cannot wait for a vinyl version to this come out where I don't have to pay mm-hmm. a liver for. Which, I mean, I think the MoFi one is this 2002 mix. But don't fact check me on that. Um, and it... I, it flows really well, even though I do think that there are three songs that are less, but I like them in the context of the album. I'm not a fan of John's falsetto voice, but I do enjoy the lyrics in One Day at a Time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Mind Game should have been a number one hit. I don't understand why it wasn't. I think whatever gets you through the night being his only number one hit is criminal because I think that song's overrated. (laughs) But that's my John pick, and you can and I did an episode with um Andy Nichols, the co-host of Two Legs, and we just praised this album. Right, it's a good album. Um, I I kind of agree with you that with the possible exception of Sometime in New York, John didn't put out a bad album. Um, I was really happy, you know, hearing, uh, you know, Mind Games uh, the first time I heard it, uh, that he was back in form. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, those, those are good songs. And and I like both of the mixes, you know, I mean, I, to me, um, so long as you can always get the original mix, Uh, all the other mixes simply give you a different perspective. And the thing is that, you know, John hated his voice, his singing. And, you know, talk about underrated by the person who owned it. (laughs) He had an incredible voice. And I think that um, Yoko's mixes that bring that voice out more, I think she's really doing him a service. I agree. And 
I mean, I think that with the fallout of some time in New York City as a critical failure at that point, I think that he was like holding this in and he just released everything and released that even more with Walls and Bridges. Like, I feel like this album and Walls and Bridges are like sister albums, kind of the way um, 33 and a third and um, the George Harrison album are sisters, I feel like. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So should we move on to Paul? Yes. Ready for the tomatoes to be thrown? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I have two here that I could equally do. Um, But in Paul's case, I think I found one that really is underrated um, by other people. (laughs) Um, And in past times may have been underrated by me too. And that is uh, Red Rose Speedway. Oh, I love that album. That was one of my picks. I could have picked like 10 Paul albums. Yeah. (laughs) You know, here's the thing about Paul albums. Um, A lot of them, a lot of them age really well, you know, and if you didn't like them when they came out, uh, you know, there are things to be found in them if you revisit them. And especially if you spend some time with them, which I've been doing lately because I'm working on this series of books, The McCartney Legacy. Um, and volume one goes only up to 1973. It ends with a uh, band on the run just coming out. Um, and it's a long book. <laughs> I'm looking um, forward to that. Thank you. Uh, it's now sometime in 2022, um, thanks to COVID and, and other things that have delayed uh, progress on that. I mean, the book is finished. We filed it. Um, and you know, in the course of it, we spent a lot of time, I, I'm saying we, my co-author's name is Adrian Sinclair. And we spent a lot of time listening to the tracks, the separations, the outtakes, you know, absolutely everything, pouring over paperwork and really trying to get a good idea of how he made these things. Um, is that that is largely what the book is about. I mean, it's a biography too. It goes through, you know, it tells you everything he was doing, but our real interest was in his creative life, you know. Um, Red Rose Speedway, uh, I think a lot of people don't like it and, bec- and the reasons they don't like it are not entirely Paul's fault. I really think that if he had been allowed to put out the double album he planned, it would have been much better received because the double album has so much, you know, this album was supposed to, first of all, be showing Wings as a group. Yeah. And so it had a couple of songs from Denny Lane. It had Seaside Woman from Linda. Um, And, uh, you know, there were an awful lot of, of tracks that were left. I mean, there, there were things that wouldn't have even fit on the double album. Right. Uh, and, you know, when he ended up putting out over the years, uh, you know, this is a guy who stockpiles material and returns to it several years later and, you know, may add a couple more tracks to it, put it away for another couple of years, add another couple of tracks. And for a while, the Red Rose Speedway uh, outtakes sort of serve that purpose really well. Um, but, you know, 
it's got some really good stuff. Uh, the big hit from it, uh, my love. Wait, yeah. I never really liked my love that much, except for Henry's guitar solo. Okay. Henry's guitar solo is so beautiful. Okay. <laughs> is that your favorite part of it? No. You just like the song. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's an okay song as gooey love songs go. Um, I guess I'm just not a huge fan of gooey love songs. Um, I don't like silly love songs either. <laughs> Do you like Maybe I'm Amazed? I love Maybe I'm Amazed. Okay. It's not gooey. Maybe well, I'm Amazed is, you know, it's, it's focused, it's powerful, it's energetic, it's beautifully played as well. Um, so the one thing that my love has for it, has going for it, is the beautifully played part. Um, uh, and that was, you know, I don't know, you probably know the story, but, but, you know, Henry kept saying, look, I have an idea I want to do. And Paul kept saying, no, I want you to play the solo I wrote which is kind of odd in a way, if, if this album is supposed to be showing Wings as a band, not yeah. as a McCartney project, that he wouldn't let his lead guitarist do his own solo. Exactly. Finally, yeah, finally, on the last take, he, Henry came up to him and said, you know, please let me try it. You don't have to use it. Just let me try it, one take. And he allowed it. They did it in that one take. Paul loved it and it stayed on the record. Um, oddly enough, later that year, they had exactly the same fight over um, Denny Lane's No Words. <laughs> we were rehearsing in Scotland before going to Lagos, Nigeria to record Band on the Run. And this time, Paul, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> Paul was not relenting and, um, and uh, Henry quit. And that was that. And that's, uh, you know, that's a whole other story. But, um, you know, there are other things about this album that are worth noting. You know, all of this, you know, the cover work, it, it, it's hard I to think see. It's I, his... I should have brought in the LP. You know, he had this, um, he had some of this commissioned and some of it he used existing works uh, that he knew the artists. Um, whose name I'm forgetting at the moment. You have it at your fingertips? No. Um, Eduardo Pelosi. Yes. yes. I'm forget that. That was um, Stuart Sutcliffe's teacher in yeah. Germany. And uh, so, it, you know, the choice of artist even has, you know, some Beatles history. And the cover um, was taken it's by... his best Beatles. album cover. Yeah, you like it? Oh, it was love taken it. And they have on the on the on the CD they reproduce the Braille, Stevie. I love you for to, a little message to Stevie Wonder. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but I think in the U.S. on the original LP, it's at the bottom. And is it wasn't it on the U.K. It was on the top. I think so. Yeah. Okay. It was on the bottom in the U.S. Hmm. Um. And uh, you know they actually when they were taking this cover, which was on the, the building of um, uh, one of the newspapers in London, uh, Linda went up there, they got the Harley, 
<clears throat> and and took the cover, but they were listening to uh, Stevie Wonder the whole time. His, his what was then his most recent album the whole time they were doing the shoot. So that's also another reason for the message on the back. They're just big big Stevie Wonder fans. Um, okay, but now having trashed my love, maybe I should find um, something of you know more redeeming value in it. Um, where okay here we go um i kind of you know what little lamb dragonfly i love little lamb dragonfly oh thank you you've redeemed yeah. you've redeemed yourself oh, i don't have to call kit and have her um execute you anymore <laughs> well kit and i already uh disagree on press to play so <laughs> um yeah Little Lamb Dragonfly is one of these songs um, that Paul wrote uh, in different parts and then connected them. I mean, that's something that goes back to A Day in the Life and then the medley on side two of Abbey Road. It's something he does actually quite a lot. You know, uh, there's, there are examples of it all through his discography. Little Lamb Dragonfly, I think, works um, especially well. Uh, it was recorded during the Ram sessions. Ram is a, that, that's another case where uh, you know they had an awful lot of leftovers. I mean, he he recorded that from you know October until like March. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, um, but you know, um, actually. Those were really interesting sessions too. I mean, I, I, if, if not for the fact that Ram is these days so well-respected, I, I would have chosen it just, you know, to be able to talk about Ram. Yeah, 20 years ago, this would have been our picks for McCartney. Yeah, when Ram came out, I didn't like it that much. You, you didn't? I really didn't. No. Um, Here's something you also need to realize, um, and we get into this in the book a lot too. Um, at the time when the Beatles had just split up and Paul had put out his album and his self-interview and, uh, and really seemed to be, I mean, we knew about Alan Klein, we knew about that dispute and all that, but in Paul's self-interview, um, which was really kind of dyspeptic, you know, there was like, do you plan to work with the Beatles again? No, you know, it, it, it just seemed like, you know, okay, he was the one walking out and okay, it doesn't matter. I mean, we, we already knew that Lennon wanted to walk out first. I mean, he mentioned stuff like that in interviews. Yeah. So, okay, they're breaking up, but it seemed that Lennon was putting out, you know, hard hitting um, well-focused stuff that actually seemed to deal with big issues, even on Sometime in New York, you know, you could not like Sometime in New York, but it's not like he's not dealing with issues. Right. Um, and Paul was putting out, you know, Mary Had a Little Lamb, and, uh, and in the press, and I particularly mean Rolling Stone, um, but also, you know, Rolling Stone was considered such a sort of hip lodestar in those days um, that their opinion carried an incredible amount of weight. And so also DJs in New York, where I grew up, 
Um, you know, you got the idea, generally speaking, that everybody was a John person and not a Paul person. You knew there were Paul people out there. I didn't personally know any of them. Um, but me and my friends were all John people. And so uh, Paul had to work extra hard to impress us. And it didn't, generally speaking, happen until Band on the Run at the time. You know, looking back now, and especially having sort of spent an awful lot of time with Ram and Red Rose Speedway recently, um, I think of them in a completely different way. Um, but Little Lamb Dragonfly, which, you know, when it came out, I just shrugged off. It is so beautiful. It um, is. And it's, you know, partly, I think the reason that it worked for him to join these two song bits together is that they both had to do with animals, you know? I mean, one was about this dying lamb, you know, you, you've probably heard him tell the story. Yeah. And the other was, he was sort of looking out his window at his farm in Scotland and there was a dragonfly hovering out there. And so, you know, it doesn't take much for Paul to, uh, you know, get an idea for a song. So he has this dialogue with, or a monologue with the dragonfly. And it's also a monologue with the lamb. And so those two went, went together, recorded them during the Ram sessions, had uh, George Martin do orchestration for it, which was also recorded during the Ram sessions in the same group of sessions when they did Uncle Albert uh, and the other orchestrated things. And for some reason, it just didn't get on, but it's one of the hits of this album for me. Um, it is. Yeah. Um, the medley, you know, a lot of people, I hear a lot of people trashing the medley. I, I think- I love medley, it. Yeah, I think the medley is okay. And there are some interesting little uh, tidbits about that too. I mean, Power Cut was written during that uh, university tour. Yeah. And there really was a Power Cut. Uh, and the, the story, uh, I don't know if this is one you've heard before, but um, uh, I don't think I had run into it before we were working on the book, uh, was that he was staying in a hotel, I can't remember which city, and Jose Feliciano was also at the hotel. And the power, because there was a, a strike going on in labor negotiations, the power was going on and off at various times. Um, and Jose Feliciano idolized Paul and was brought over to Paul's table to meet him. And right then when he met him, the lights went out and the, you know, everyone's saying, oh, you know, the lights are out. And Jose Feliciano says to Paul, don't worry, I'll get you back to your room. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> see what else we got here. Um, one more kiss isn't isn't bad. It's it's you know get on the right thing. I kind of like. Uh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, most of these songs, most of the songs that ended up on the single disc version, um, I think work pretty well. And uh, you know, as I read the track titles, I'm also thinking of you know what we wrote about the sessions, and uh, you know the sessions were kind of rough. Um, yeah. he, he didn't have a real idea of what he wanted to do. And um, Glenn Johns uh, 
was there producing it and you know he, he'd worked with them on the get back let it be sessions but he was not at all impressed with first of all the rest of wings he didn't he didn't think paul had a a worthy band um and he told them that he told the other wings players that you know uh they were telling him you know we're just we're just recording you know uh what interests us you know and and he said to them yeah well when you do something interesting you know then we'll <laughs> we'll have a track but they were experimenting a lot you know um loop first indian on the moon another track that is trashed a lot i love I it. Kind of like it you like it too oh love it yeah um i i like when he gets experimental i do too he you know the only thing he did before this that you could call experimental really well two things both on the first album were glasses and yeah uh, karina Kore, Kore, the uh you know attempt to do to to capture without quite mimicking the sound of the um uh brazilian indian tribe that uh i don't know if you saw the program about the Karina Kore. Uh, Paul watched a TV special about this tribe called, it was the special was called The Tribe That Hides From Man. And it was a completely unsociable tribe. They, they didn't deal with any other tribes, let alone, um, you know, people coming to make documentaries about them. And they were fierce. You know, you got near them, they'd kill you. Um, and so, they were using tribes that had, you know, a little bit of a relationship with them to try and, and come to terms with them. Anyway, Paul watched that documentary and the very next day, or, or maybe two days later, he turned up in the studio and wanted to do this thing with, you know, they set up microphones so he could, he went to, uh, um, Harrods and bought a bow and arrow set and you know the shoot the arrow past a bunch of microphones so that they could yeah. you know, have the sound of it come. you know you really could record it in mono and just pan it <laughs> but you know um so yeah that was an experiment and in a way loop is like that too Linda got an early uh mini moog um one of the first really sort of portable Moog synthesizers. I mean, they used to be a, a wall full of equipment and this was just sort of a keyboard with the electronics inside it. And so they were playing around with it and jamming and, and a lot of that went into what became Loop. Um, and it's just so out there that I, I really like that too. You know, you have an album that has loop on one hand and little lamb dragonfly on the so other. different yeah that's covering a lot of ground yeah so, anyway what was yours oh i'm gonna get a lot of virtual tomatoes thrown <laughs> and you know what i'm gonna pick i'm gonna change it because i think this album needs more justice and it's back to the egg i love back to the egg awesome how's that <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, you know, for Back to the Egg, I, I, I think that Lawrence Juber is probably the best, one of the best guitarists he's ever worked with. Exceptional yeah. guitarist. Real. And great interview. I mean. Oh, yeah, you had him on, right? Yeah. Great interview. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like, you want to do it in a, in a couple hours? 
it's crazy yeah and um i i love how funky reception opens the album i think getting closer is probably my favorite wing song mm. yeah but um later period wings but uh, that changes about every 10 minutes i think we're open tonight is beautiful i love the beautiful acoustic guitar work spin it on just speeds the album up which i think is crazy um again and again and again which i think is really underrated i love the you don't want to be the little woman i love that lyric um Old Siamser obviously has some of Paul's best vocals of all time. Error Through Me, which I think was the single and um, which I think should have been a bigger hit. Um, and I think that if you took Good Night Tonight and Daytime Nighttime Suffering, this would not be on this list. This would have been praised a lot more. And um, that's something that Lawrence Juber told me. Um, he said that if you put had those that single on this album and took a couple songs off and it would have just blown up and gone crazy and I, dare i say it's my favorite mccartney album that's interesting that's interesting it is underrated and uh you know in the classic sense of underrated but good um yeah you know, you know, <laughs> In a way, it's my favorite incarnation of Wings, that lineup. And it's I really, agree. It didn't continue. Oh, well. Yeah. But, I mean, I would have killed to be alive in 1979 and just see them tour. I mean, that would have been amazing. And I don't know anybody that mm. did, but that person is lucky. I do think that side two could have had a couple more rockers just to keep pace but other than that it's a perfect album yeah 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 i like the video for it too the sort of video album that, that he uh, did at the time yeah that was really interesting and i mean steve hollett just goes crazy on the drums on this album and it's mm -hmm. it's utter it's just amazing like yeah if i had to choose an incarnation of wings to see live it would probably be this one mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and great cover good choice okay so george yeah george okay um with george i think the big underrated album is gone Trapo. oh <laughs> <laughs> um, i really like gone Trapo. i have always liked gone Trapo since it came out um but i think the reason it's underrated or that i say it's underrated is that george did basically no promotion whatsoever i mean the thing appeared in the stores and that was you know well oh a, george, a new george harrison album i mean i haven't even heard about this you know and then there are, you know were no interviews no promotion at least that i've run into uh and it's as if he was just so disgusted with the record business that he just put out one album didn't bother and then basically went on vacation for three or four years until uh you know cloud nine um 
but there's great stuff on here. You know, yeah. Wake Up My Love is a great opener. That's the way it goes. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty classic Harrison song. I Really Love You is fun. Uh, Gontrapo in Greece. Uh, uh, Dream Away. I love that. Yeah. And then Circles, which, you know, goes all the way back to, uh, I think he wrote that during the Beatles days. Yeah, what, wasn't it like a White Album outtake or yeah. something? Yeah, I think there is there isn't there an Easter Easter version of it. I think there probably. was, <laughs> but um, I think it's probably my least favorite Harrison album. But I okay. like all. I think Harrison, out of all the Beatles, has the most consistent work. I think mm-hmm. there's six albums that I would give a ten out of ten to. And um, and they are all enjoyable to varying degrees, like. And I think that that's the way it goes, is one of his best songs ever. Um, And I really wish that we got something in between those years of Cloud Nine and Gontrapo and in between Brainwashed, which speaking of Brainwashed, my choice is Brainwashed for the most underrated album. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you think the fact that it came out like a year after he died is sort of worked against it in a way i think that yeah um i think it gets overshadowed like double fantasy i'm gonna be completely honest i think i've heard listened to the album four times and i can't listen to it often because of the circumstances Hmm. i can only listen to select songs out on it at a time that's just how i've always felt with that album but we knew George was dying. I mean, I obviously wasn't around, but people knew. I how long was it like that you guys kind of knew? Was it like a year ish? It was probably a year. Yeah, but and then before that, he had been attacked. Yeah. Know. Um. So you know, you know, in newspapers, they do they prepare obituaries of really famous people in advance. Yeah. Um, and I had written his, I think it might've been around the time he was stabbed. Um, it wouldn't have been much longer than, it wouldn't have been long after that if it was after it. And, and I revised it a couple of times, including, you know, the morning he actually died, I went through it again and redid it. Um, and, uh, yeah, everyone sort of was expecting it but you know it's it still was in a way kind of shocking i mean you know expecting something doesn't doesn't make it less shocking once it happens so but you know any road i think is an incredible song i should have been a number one if that was a top 40 hit in the uk i do believe Hmm. i don't know um i know that he released a single at all from there or i should say his estate Um, stuck inside a cloud was a release i believe hmm, okay because in preparation i actually went back and listened to the things we said today on this really yeah (laughs) and i feel like and i think i remember ken said something but yeah i I know Paul's regarded Marwa Blues as being one of his favorite George songs of all time. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and Stuck Inside a Cloud is beautiful. That one, actually, I real didn't realize dated back quite a bit. But the lyrics sound like he's dying. Like, it's kind of, it sounds like he's slowly dying. I mean, I've never smoked so much. Um, like that, those lyrics and looking for my life. I mean, that is beautiful. And so it's poignant. I feel like this is the closest thing he's done to a Plastic Ono band. Okay. I really do. Um, I think it was when it came out um, and they were providing review copies to the press, they were so paranoid about it leaking out that what they sent you was a portable CD player glued shut with the disc in it and the headphone glued into the headphone jack so that there was nothing you could do to copy it. Actually, there was, but... <laughs> you could have broken it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I ended up, after I, after, I, after I was finished with my review, I broke it open and just played it like a regular CD. <laughs> I just, you know, I just don't like to be told I can't do something, you know, how it is. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, Rocking Chair in Hawaii dated back all the way to All Things Must Pass, I believe. Mm. I be and um, Never Get Run So Far obviously was on the Eric Clapton Journeyman album, I believe. Right. Um, Rising Sun and Run So Far are a little... I think run so far, maybe a little too Jeff Linney for me, but still great. Okay. Um, I love the snarkiness in the song Brainwashed. I think that even though the vocals are, I feel like as the record progresses, the vocals like get weaker. Okay. As I feel. I don't know why I've always looked at that, even though the, there's this weird thing with George's voice and I don't remember if I've talked about it on the show before that like as soon as cloud nine was over and he did the first Will Berry's album that his voice really started to age I feel right after that so okay. I always question like was did he have like some sort of cancer at that point because in like the she's my baby song on um the Wilburys volume three you can kind of hear it start to get really nasally and it's really weird not that it's bad but it just starts to get a little weird mm -hmm. yeah he he may have been compensating for you know what he was feeling you know, physically <laughs> slash medically yeah but I think that it's it, if I'm gonna rank his albums I rank this and all things must pass side by side. Mm -hmm. I I think it's that good. Okay. Yeah. He, his entire output, relatively small as it is, um, also is, is pretty consistently good. Um, it did occur to me to uh, maybe um, consider living in the material world, his most underrated. Um, I, I agree it, that's underrated too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Ken Michael's favorite um, 
not yeah. only Harrison album, I think it's his, one, of, one of his favorite albums of all time. It is his favorite album of all time. And I think that um, in that case, I think what happens sort of was, you know, everybody was really up for All Things Must Pass and the concert for Bangladesh, which had a bunch of All Things Must Pass on it. Uh, but living in the material world seemed to have, you know, okay, we're still doing the religious thing. And um, it sounded a little um, whiny to a lot of people. Um, and, uh, but I think, you know, I think it has survived that feeling. And I think uh, now a lot of people have, have come to terms with it who really didn't like it that much when it came out. Um, so I figured I'd, I'd go with uh, Gontrapo instead, just because, you know, people didn't even know it was there, you know, so in a way that's, that's underrated by definition, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's, it's still probably my least favorite Harris now, but I think it's got its redeeming features, but Brainwashed, it's in my 20 favorite albums of all time. Yeah, yeah, it's a good album. It is. And I think it's better than Milk and Honey. I'm going to be completely honest. Milk and Honey and Sometime in New York City are probably my the two weakest Lennon albums for me. Okay. I mean, they both needed better production. Like, Brainwashed, when I first heard this album, when I was probably 10, 11 years old, I mean, I'm 14 now, so that doesn't seem that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you heard it before it was even released it doesn't sound like a posthumous release and i didn't think it was until i realized until i realized it was <laughs> yeah but just great album i agree and i realized this that vinyl's out of print again i believe huh. and same with the uh all the Beatles albums now, all those stereo mixes are out of print. Really? Yeah, at least the early ones. Wow. So you can't get the big EMI box set that came out in like 2010 or uh, those are all gone? They're gone. Hmm. I'll, I'll send you some screenshots later. Okay. Yeah, but moving on to the greatest... Ringo Starr. I know you're going to approve of this. It's the most underrated Ringo Starr album. Okay. Actually, a whole lot of his discography is underrated. I mean, his recent stuff, no one seems to pay any attention to, and they're all perfectly fine albums. You know, if, if you like Ringo's voice and if you like Ringo's choices of material, they've been consistent over the years. Um, uh, and, you know, in, in the earlier years as well, people didn't seem to like Roto-Gravure and uh, Bad Boy. You know, I've put them on recently. They're, they're okay too. I, I don't know what the problem is. But the ones I chose, the, let's, I've got two and I'll just choose one. Um, it would have to be Bukoops of Blues. It was um, my runner up. That was your runner up? My, my runner up is Sentimental Journey. <laughs> oh, I like, the, I, like I, I like that album too. 
Yeah. But Goose Blues, a lot of people just sort of shrugged, you know, when it came out. Um, you know, there's a, a much greater appreciation for country music today, I think, than there was when this came out uh, yeah. among rock audiences. Um, <clears throat> you know, now a lot of people have country roots, including all of the Beatles. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it wasn't that clear. I mean, it should have been clear. They did all that Carl Perkins stuff on, you know, in both in on the records and BBC. Um, we should have known, but for some reason, you know, real country stuff with a pedal steel, the whole deal, that just seemed a world apart from the Beatles. And Ringo, you know, also as a Brit seemed not the one to do it you know you think you thought of country music as something that people in the southern u.s around nashville recorded and yeah. did sang, and that was their stuff but ringo sort of went there and did this he got pete drake to play pedal steel um and you know i think we we did know that ringo had a yen for that i mean he was thinking of emigrating to texas before the beatles uh, all of that stuff. So we sort of knew that he was into it, but for some reason, because country music itself wasn't really being listened to, we just sort of shrugged it off. But it's actually a pretty good album. and It really uh, is. Yeah. Uh, it's as if, you know, he doesn't seem to, to count these first two albums. You know, Sentimental Journey 2. Um, I suppose if, uh, you know, I want to listen to standards, I'm probably going to put on an Ella Fitzgerald record. I'm probably not going to put on Ringo. But that said, um, I thought he did as, as good a job as he could on that. He got interesting arrangers to do the arrangements for it, uh, including Paul did one. Um, he had some jazz guys, Johnny Dankworth, you know, uh, the arrangements were good. Um, the singing was, let's say, charismatic. Yeah. Um, and he totally anticipated what would become a trend decades later, you know, when everybody started doing albums of standards, including Paul, including Dylan. I'd yeah. rather listen to Sentimental Journey than to any of Dylan's. Oh, and I love Dylan. I really okay. Love Dylan. Those What's your favorite Dylan album? Oh man, um, God, maybe Highway sixty one, maybe Blonde on Blonde. I sort of lean towards Highway sixty one, but his last album I thought was great too. Um, I didn't. <laughs> no, I really um, liked him. Tempest though. Tempest was good. Um, Blood on the Tracks was great. I mean, he has he has these little peaks all through his his discography, and then there are bunches of things where you say, "What what is he thinking?" You know, Self Portrait at the time, at the time that came out, Self Portrait was like synonymous with like it was a short way of saying the worst thing ever recorded in the history of humanity. You know, you just needed to say Self Portrait, and that's it. You know, and then there was the one called Dylan, which was basically outtakes from self-portrait that Columbia yeah. put out after he went to uh, asylum. Um, they put it out almost as a way of punishing him. <laughs> um, 
that was embarrassing. But so, you know, sentimental journey in Bukoops of Blues, Bukoops of Blues, uh, you know, there aren't really particularly songs that I would single out um, in, in, on the CD. I kind of like the outtakes that were thrown on at the end as, you know, Nashville Jam, um, things like that. But fastest growing heartache in the West. I mean, it's all, it's, it's, it's a very atmospheric, fun album that does capture that country thing and joins it to the Liverpudlian, uh, you know, vocal. It's, yeah, uh, it's kind of a, it, it, it's fun in that way, you know, don't listen to it every day or every week, but it, it's fun to put on every now and then. And I think it should have a, a better reputation than it does. People seem to behave as, as if Ringo's albums didn't really start until the Ringo album. Um, but that's not true. <laughs> yeah. So moving on to my pick, and I know from, I think I heard this in one show, I heard that this is one of your favorite Ringo albums. Mm. Stop and Smell the Roses. Yep. Coming off of the failures of um, Bad Boy and Critical, I mean, I don't care for Bad Boy, I don't care for Ringo the Fourth. I do really like Vertigraph Yar. Um, I think that that one was not a failure at all. Um, this re bring back the uh, whole get Ringo's friends and help them formula. I mean, Grow Old With Me would have been on. You would have had Beatles album. You would have had the Ringo formula. I love the song Private Property. I think that's, I love Rack My Brain. Rack My mm -hmm. Brain, I believe, was his last modest hit in the U.S. Um, yeah. I think it was got to number like 38 or something. Um drumming is my maddest madness is pure tongue and cheek genius genius written by uh harry nilsson um i love the title track even though he does sound very drunk <laughs> <laughs> but i mean he does sound drunk on um all of the previous two albums i think um i don't care for the back off boogaloo redo i will say that no. We don't need any more redos. We could have like a compilation of back off boogaloo redos. Okay. Hmm. Some of his uh, recent remakes I've, I've liked though. I thought the Wings remake was one of his greatest recordings ever in 2012. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like that album. Um, you know, again, it's another one that was overshadowed by, well, John's death, for one. Uh, then Neil Bogart's death. I mean, the guy who ran the label that put that out. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the label basically died with him and that became kind of hard to find as an album. Um, yeah, and I, I think it was one of, it's one of the few albums that I think is in print from Ringo still. Hmm. And it just got on spotify within the last couple months i realized this and old wave weren't on spotify right wow. but yeah old but, wave could be, could be a, a you know overlooked as well you know or, or underrated because it only, it only came out in germany and canada <laughs> um, yeah 
that album, I'm, it, out of all of Ringo's albums, that's probably the one that I'm least familiar with. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, but by Joe Walsh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, but just really great album and so overlooked. I mean, I, I love You Belong to Me. I love Dead Giveaway. I mean, if Grow Old With Me, Nobody Told Me, which I don't think would have worked as Ringo's songs personally, but if those were on here as Ringo's songs, this would have been probably considered a Ringo, like that, held to that standard. Right. And if I'm ranking his albums, I Time Takes Time is probably my number one. The Ringo album is probably my number two. This might be my number three or four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. But so, Alan, what have you got coming up and what would you like to plug? <laughs> I like to plug. Um, <clears throat> I guess what I've got coming up is, you know, we're now working on volume two of the book. Um, that's taking, you know, for both of us, it's taking an awful lot of our time. You know, basically, it's our main focus. Um, and, you know, with COVID, it was the perfect time to be doing it because <laughs> there weren't concerts to review. Um, so I, I had basically, you know, was, was just sort of trying to figure out, you know, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to keep doing my regular work plus the book or what? And then, you know, with, with COVID sort of canceling concert seasons, um, that just meant, okay, fine. I really can just focus on this. And in fact, maybe I won't even do records. So I wrote to all my editors and said, look, I'm working on a book and, you know, they understand that. And, um, I'll let you know when I'm done, um, which in most cases I didn't do, uh, <laughs> because it's, uh, you know, working on a book is, it's, it's, it's a different kind of focus than doing a different concert review every day, you know, or, or a record review or something like that. It's really sort of a long-term big arch, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I've done other books, but this, this was different in, in a lot of ways. Um, uh, Adrian is an incredible researcher, and we've both been doing interviews. Uh, so, you know, we've got some more interviews to do for book two, and we've got a lot of reading and sorting through documents and then listening to all the stuff. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to, you know, in the immediate future. Uh, it's a little early to plug book one because it's not coming out till 2022. Um, so other than that, I don't think I really have anything to plug. I mean, uh, so do you want to talk a little bit about things we said today? Okay. What, what do you want to know? Um, just kind of say where you can find it, how you can contact the show. Okay. Um, it's on, uh, Podbean and YouTube and, uh, iTunes, um, we have a things we said today, uh, page on Facebook and also what's it, things we said today, Beatles radio fans on Facebook. And I post links to the shows there every two weeks. We do them now. Um, and our next one that we will record, I think on this coming Monday will be about the anniversary of Ram. Um, so we'll have a, a lot to say about that. And I think we may also look at uh, Denny Silo's new recording of you know, the Ram tribute, Ram On, it's called. 
<clears throat> he and a bunch of other people, including David Spinoza, who played briefly on the Ram Sessions too, uh, sort of made a remake of, of Ram. It, it, I heard it and it's really good. Yeah. And so we, we'll probably talk about that too. It, it, if not, you know, we'll just be talking about the Ram album itself. Um, don't know what else we have planned. Um, it's kind of funny. I mean, it, sometimes we have several weeks planned where we have guests and and sometimes we're sort of doing it by the seat of our pants like the show will end and we'll say okay well what about what do we do in two weeks you know and we'll either come up with something right then or we'll email each other during the week and and come up with something um you know there's there's never any lack of stuff to talk about when it comes to the beatles yeah and I mean, you've got, it's crazy, but I want to thank you for coming on and you can find our show anywhere where podcasts can be heard, YouTube and uh, yeah, 